In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will study today chapter 21 from the Gospel of St. Matthew, uh, starting from verse 23. The first part of this chapter from verse 1 to verse 22 is about his entry to Jerusalem as a king on Hosanna Sunday and how the people received him as a king, king of peace and they shouted Hosanna in the highest, this is the king of Israel and on the second day in the morning, on Monday in the morning he entered the temple and he drove out of the temple those who were selling and buying in the temple, telling them, my house is a house of prayer to all nations, and you made it den of thieves. And after that, he, on his way back home, he saw a fig tree full of leaves, but there was no fruits in it. And the Lord cursed the fig tree. And the fig tree withered instantly. And the fig tree represents the Jewish nation. The nation that withered with the coming of Christ because they refused him. He came to his own, but his own did not accept him. And when the disciples saw how with one word he was able to curse the fig tree and the fig tree was withered innocently, he told them, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. So this was the first part of the chapter. Let's start from verse 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? In the past, the Pharisees and the scribes attempted to test the Lord Jesus Christ by posing questions to him, hoping to trap him with his answer. But this time was different because now the Lord Jesus Christ, when he entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling, actually he manifested his authority as the Messiah, as the Lord of the temple, and it challenged their authority because they were the religious leaders of Israel. And as our Lord now openly appeared as the Messiah, the chief priests and the scribes were much offended, especially because he exposed and removed the abuses they encouraged when he drove out all those who were selling and buying. The religious leaders of Israel were encouraging and supporting turning the house of God to be house of a merchandise. So when the Lord exposed and removed the abuse that they encouraged to the temple, they were much offended. So the plan was to arrest him as it is clear from the same chapter Verse 46, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude. So now 
they made a decision to arrest him, but they tried to find a way how to arrest him. So they confronted the Lord Jesus Christ and demanded to know the source of his authority to act as he has acted. Hoping that if he answered and said, my authority came from God, then they will arrest him on the charge of blasphemy. They would say he blasphemed and they arrest him. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the hypostasis of all wisdom, each time he avoided their trap. This time the Lord Jesus turned the tables on them. So he answered their question by a question. As we read in verse 24, but Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And actually, the selection of the question was not just by chance, but the Lord selected a very wise question, selected this question very wisely. Because the answer of this question would answer also their question. So as if he is telling them, if you answer this question correctly, you will know by what authority I am doing this. So, so he challenged the right to interrogate him by asking them a question. And as I told you, the subject of this question is admirably chosen. Because it was about John the Baptist. Seeing that the work of reform in which Jesus was engaged when he drove out the sellers and buyers from the temple, this work of reformation had a necessary connection with the ministry of John the Baptist. So if they know the answer to John the Baptist's question, they would know the answer to by which authority he was doing it. So this was the question, verse 25. The Lord told them, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they were afraid to say it was for men, for the fear of the people. Also, they were afraid to say it was of heaven, because they had disobeyed John the Baptist. That's why they told him, we cannot tell, as we read in verse 27. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So, what was their difficulty? Why they couldn't answer the question? Because they did not want to shake their determination to reject the claim of the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. And also they did not want to damage their reputation with the people. So if they said the baptism of John from heaven, and Jonah testified for the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then actually they are saying that Jesus is the Messiah and because he is the Lord of the temple that's why he has the authority to purify and cleanse the temple but if they say it is from men then actually they will lose their reputation with the people so here it is clear they did not care about the truth they did not care to say the truth but they want to keep their image and they know if they acknowledge John as the forerunner, forerunner then they should actually confess the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah and since they did not answer the question the Lord refuses to answer their question but taking advantage of the situation how they did not answer so the Lord actually immediately he followed up by two parables and in these two parables there is a lesson to the religious leaders of Israel there is a lesson to us and also there is answer, answer to the question by what authority you are doing this so in reality the Lord answered the question but he answered it through a parable verse 28 but what do you think a man had two sons and he came to the first and said son go work today in my vineyard he answered and said I will not but afterward he regretted and went then he came to the second and said likewise and he answered and said I go there but he did not go then the Lord asked them a question which of the two did the will of his father they said to him the first so the vineyard is Israel as we read in Isaiah chapter 5 the vineyard is uh, Israel the old covenant church the church of the old covenant and the father who called his two sons is God the first son refused first but later he served the father in the vineyard this son who refused first but later served in the vineyard represents the Gentiles represented the tax collectors and the sinners all those who at first refused to serve God but then they answered St. John's call to repentance and they went to St. John confessing their sins and being baptized by him the second son who said yes at first but then did not serve his father the second son represent the chief priests the elders the scribes the Pharisees the Sadducees all the religious leader leaders of Israel and the Lord described them as failed shepherds of Israel who served themselves and not God who rejected the Messiah and his gospel so the second son represents the religious leaders of Israel the first son represents the sinners who repented that's why after the Lord finished the parable he said to them Jesus said to them assuredly I say to you the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you as if he had said to them you have avoided a direct answer to my question concerning the baptism of Jonah you refused to give me a direct answer 
and have acknowledged your ignorance. But what do you think of your own conduct in these circumstances? Actually, your profession, as if you are saying, yes, sir, you, in your worship, you make extraordinary reverence for God, as if you have zeal for his service. But at the end, you are not serving God, but you are serving yourselves. That's why the judgment will be that the tax collector and the harlots will go before you to the kingdom of God. And when he asked them which son did the will of the father, without hesitation they replied the first, not knowing that by this answer they are condemning themselves because they are the second son. So when they said the first, actually they condemned themselves. Then the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear and made a direct application of the parable and giving them a sharp and just rebuke. When he told them the tax collector, the most abandoned sinners of the age such as the tax collector and the heart harlots will go into the kingdom of God before you. Verse 32, For John came to you in the way of righteousness. And then here the Lord Jesus Christ answering the question, that the baptism of John is from heaven. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. And if you did not believe him, you will not believe that I am the Messiah. But tax collector and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So even when you saw the tax collector and the harlots believing John, and they were open to the conviction of John, and readily they were willing to obey the gospel, you did not relent and believed at the end. If you think about the answer of the second son, which represents the religious leaders of Israel, he said what? I go seer. The tone here is a tone of outward respect. So here from outside, he show respect, I will go. But from inside, there is refusal to go and serve in the vineyard. And this answer represents the surface religion of the Pharisees. The fig tree that's full with leaves, but no fruits. From outside, there is leaves. From outside, many activities, but from inside there is no fruits. And when the Lord told them, for John came unto you, now the Lord is giving the reason why he told them that the tax collector and the harlots will go before you to the heaven. John the Baptist came with a special call to the rulers of the people. And they show some interest in the beginning by sending a delegation to demand his credentials. And some of them came to his baptism. But this was all. There was no transformation or change in their life. They did, they did not alter their lives or change their faulty opinion about at his preaching about the Messiah. Although, as we read in John chapter 5, verse 35, the Lord told to them, you were willing for a season, for a shorter time, to rejoice in his light. So you partially believed in what John said. 
and he did not follow his footsteps. Then the Lord gives him another parable to make it clear by what authority he is cleansing the temple. Verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. This parable is also rebuke of the leaders of Israel who were seeking his death. And the description about the landowner, the vineyard, the vine dressers, the situation in this parable is familiar to the first century Jews. Because landholders in Israel often rented out their property to tenant farmers who had to share percentage of the profits from the harvest with the owner of the land. So they were familiar. The Lord Jesus Christ used to use to give parables from their culture. So the Lord Jesus used this parable as a metaphor protecting his death by the hand of the religious leader of Israel. And also to tell them about the destruction and the loss of authority as God's representative. They will lose their authority as the leaders of Israel. So the landowner in this parable is representing God, the supreme being. The vineyard is a symbol of Israel in covenant with God. The hedge is the divine protection and the blessing he had bestowed on them and the care he had taken of Israel by giving them his word, the law. Can you imagine the law as a hedge separating them from the Gentiles? That is the hedge. Wine press in which they crush the wine, the, the grapes to make wine. So this represent the sacrificial rites. And the tower represented the temple in which the divine presence was manifested. So God in his care not only planted Israel but hedged the nation around by the law which separated it from the Gentiles. Also, towers were erected in the vineyard like the tabernacle of meeting and the temple of Solomon for the accommodation of the keepers, the priests who defended the vineyards from thieves and from troublesome animals. So the tower represents the church or the temple. So the hedge, the wine press, the tower, all these things represent the various advantages conferred by God upon Israel. So the landowner is God, the wine press is the sacrificial rite, the hedge is the law, the vineyard is Israel, the uh, tower is the temple and the fine dressers are the priests and the teachers of the law. Then he said about himself, went to a far country. He entrusted the cultivation of the vineyard to the priests, the shepherds of Israel. And he gave them the utmost confidence The fact that he went to a far country means he trusted them very much. And he was obliged 
to absent himself from home for a certain time to examine their wisdom and their faithfulness what happened after this in this parable verse 34 now when the vintage time drew near he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive his, its fruit and the vine dressers took his servants beat one killed one and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first and they did likewise to them then the last of all he sent his son to them saying they will respect my son i want you to notice here how many times he sent messengers three times and in the three times the servants were assaulted and two times with the prophets and one time with the son jesus christ so the first two times they were the servants the prophets the third time was the son the lord jesus christ the harvest represent gathering of the souls how many souls you won to god or you made them followers to yourself so the first and second servant are the prophets and the messengers that god sent them from time to time but how they received the messengers of god beat one and killed another and if you study the prophets you will find all of them were tortured by israel like isaiah like jeremiah like zechariah the son of jehudiah who were killed between the altar and the temple uh, when the lord spoke about the prophets in this parable he implied that the parable the, yes they were called by god but all of them they suffered persecution for the faithful exercise of their office they were very faithful and because they were very faithful they suffered a lot of persecution so to be a prophet it was not a light or easy task uh, and according to the design of this parable god is painting for us a lively figure of the violent reception given to the prophets and to their divine message and to refuse to obey the message of God they received the prophets violently when the Lord said they sent the servant one time another time and then he sent his son the intention here to emphasize uh, no matter how many servants he sent the treatment is the same the violent treatment is the same then the landowner said i will send my son this is my last choice the crowning effort of the divine mercy after which from our side if we reject him then the measure of sins will be filled up and from god's side he he doesn't have anything more precious than his son to give to us so now there is no other solution if you believe if you don't believe in the son of god then there is no hope for your salvation Uh, so after sending his son there is nothing after this 
This was the last and final step, the mission of the Son, who is also the heir. And here we can see how the landowner had no doubts that they will show respect to his son. And also the parable implies that they will acknowledge him, they would know his son. There will be no difficulty in knowing that he is the Messiah. And also they acknowledged him because they said, this is the heir, let us kill him. He for whom the inheritance is meant, and to whom it will, in due course, rightfully arrive. So let us kill him and uh, get rid of him. St. Paul, in Hebrew, chapter 1, verse 2, said about Christ, he is the heir of all things. He is the heir of all things. The children, the religious leaders of Israel, they knew because they were very versed in the prophecies. If Christ prevailed, then Judaism must fall. That's why they wanted to destroy Christ in order to maintain their hold on the vineyard, on Israel, on office as the priests in the Old Testament. That's why they said to seize the inheritance, to keep the inheritance in our hand, to make the people still following us. This was their hope, as we read in verse 38. But when the vine dressers saw the sun, they said among themselves, this is the earth. So they knew. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they wanted to kill him to seize the inheritance. So from this text, it appears that the Pharisees and the elders of the Jews knew Jesus to be the Messiah. And that it was only through envy and malice they were so blinded as not to acknowledge him for the Son of God in the beginning. Uh, and we can say that it is very difficult to believe that the teachers of the law were ignorant of Christ. Christ repeatedly introduced this truth and uh, he even says him, uh, he even said to Peter uh, when he told him you are Christ the son of the living God he told him this is not a revelation by men but from God, from God from heaven so as if the Lord is saying to the religious leader of Israel you have no excuse you are only motivated by hatred against me and against my father that's why you want to arrest me and to kill, to kill me. And what was their plan? Verse 39. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. So what does this mean? This doesn't mean they will kick him out of the synagogue. But it could mean about his death, he was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. But also by casting him out means they delivered him to the people who are outside the vineyard. So if the vineyard is Israel, those are outside Israel were the Gentiles. So they delivered him to the Gentiles and to be mocked, scourged, and put to death by, by them. Because who crucified Christ? This Pontius Pilate, who was a Gentile, and the Roman soldiers, who were the Gentiles. So casting him out means he will cast him 
to the Gentiles who eventually crucified him. But although the sentence of death was pronounced by Pontius Pilate, who was a heathen, a Gentile, a heathen governor, and also the crucifixion was executed by Roman uh, uh, soldiers. But we should know that this, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, although was done by the hands of the Gentiles, but who were, who were pushing for it? The Jewish people, who said his blood is upon us and upon all our children. And that's why when you read in the epistles of the disciples, you will find that the Jews are frequently charged by the apostles with the murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually when the Lord said this, that the scribes and the Pharisees, the priests and the high priest, did not make a connection between this parable and what was written in Isaiah. Although there were many similarities between the two parables. But you can see here how they were blind. That's why when they heard the parable, they did not make the connection with the, what mentioned in Isaiah chapter 5 from verse 1 to verse 7. And as I told you, some of the details of the parables in Isaiah and Matthew are the same. Each describing a well-tended vineyard with a hedge or a wall around it to protect the vineyard from the animals and also a watchtower to look for thieves. Also, both parables ended in the judgment of Israel. But Jesus also turns this vineyard parable into a prophecy of his passion and death as we read in verse 38. Verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? The Lord has a question. And this question was addressed to the Jews who seem to have been so carried away by the clear description that they answered without seeing uh, that they pronounced their own sentence. In the first parable, they answered that the son who did the will of the father is the first son. And now you can see how they answer this question. Verse 41, they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. They said the correct answer, but they did not know that this parable was about them. So by this answer, they condemned themselves because they were the vine dressers. So as if they were saying, Jesus will destroy those wicked religious leaders of Israel miserably. And he will lease his vineyard to other clergymen in the New Testament who will render to him the fruits in their season. Luke chapter 20, verse 16, tells us that some of them, when they understood the parable, they said, God forbid. Uh, Because they knew that this parable is about them, that's why they were hoping that may God forbid this from happening. Uh, but as the Lord told them about the destruction of their nation 
Actually, the nation was nearly destroyed in the Roman War. One million and hundred thousand perished in the siege of Jerusalem. The Jewish uh, polity was destroyed and another people. So we can see how they were killed and now the Church of Christ, the Church of the New Testament, the Church that's mainly composed of Gentiles who were aliens before, now they received the inheritance and the kingdom. The Lord Jesus challenged the chief priests and Pharisees again on their knowledge of the scripture. When he told them, verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Many times the Lord challenged their knowledge of the scripture. As we read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 3 and 5, Matthew 21, verse 16, Matthew 22, verse 31. This question frustrated them because they presented themselves as they know the scripture very well. But when the Lord challenged their knowledge of the scripture, they were frustrated. The Lord told them about what's written in Psalm 118, about the stone that the builders rejected, but this stone became the main cornerstone. The stone here is Christ. The stone is Christ, who was rejected by the religious leader of Israel. But he became the chief cornerstone. Cornerstone because he made peace between us and God. That's one dimension. Between me and myself, that's another dimension. Between me and the others, is the third dimension. So that's the cornerstone. He became the head of the corner. So when the Lord told them, have you not read? He was referring in Psalm 118. And this quote, quotation here is very remarkable. Because we can read in Psalm 118 about uh, the, how they received the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of Israel. About the shouts of Hosanna made by the multitude, they were mentioned in this psalm. Also this, the same psalm, Psalm 118, the Jewish leader applied this psalm to the Messiah. They knew that this psalm is about the Messiah. And now the Lord is answering their question, by what authority I am the Messiah, as you read in Psalm 118. Also, the Lord Jesus, St. Peter, applied the parable of the stone here twice to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read it in Acts chapter 4, 11 and 1 Peter 2, 7. The figure represents a stone rejected by the builders as worthless, but this stone became the chief cornerstone in the building. So Christ told them, although you rejected me, as the builders rejected the stone, but I will be the chief cornerstone to unite the Jews with the Gentiles, both of them to unite them with Christ, by converting all of them into the Christian faith. St. Augustine also says this is not addressed only to the opponent of Christ's authority, but to us if we reject him to be the king of our life and the savior of our life. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It is marvelous that the rejected stone 
should become the chief cornerstone, elect and precious, on which the whole structure of the spiritual temple rests, as we read in 1 Peter 2.6 and also in Isaiah 28 verse 16. Now we read about the judgment of God, verse 43. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. So, here is the judgment. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you. So, in a plain term, the Lord told them, you will be forsaken, you will be punished for your stubbornness and your blindness. And indeed, the kingdom of God was taken from Jews, from Israel, and was given to us, his people, to his chosen nation. Not a particular nation, but all those who accepted him. And he, he made them a distinctive people. Uh, and God is expecting from us to give him the return. The return that he expects from us uh, are the fruits of grace. The fruits of his He gave us grace. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It is the grace of the Holy Spirit. So after he gave us the kingdom of God, God will ask us and will be held accountable to him whether we have the fruit of the Spirit in our life or not. And I want you to notice here, what is the harv what can we present to Christ? Christ will never accept anything unless it is sprang from himself. So, he gave us the grace of the Holy Spirit. And then, when this, the Holy Spirit works in us and produces fruit, then this fruit will be acceptable to God. Then the Lord told them in verse 44, Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whom it will fall, it will grind him to powder. So there are two, fate, two fates for the opposer, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who fall on the stone and shall be broken, and those who will be under the stone will be grounded into powder. What does this mean? Those who fall on the stone, so the stone is below, and people falling on him. This is about the first coming of Christ. Those who did not accept him or rejected him in the beginning, but if they repented, all what would happen to them, some bruises, they will be broken, but they will not be crushed down completely. They will not be destroyed. But when the stones come from above, that is the second coming of Christ, to judge the world, where there will be no opportunity for repentance. So in his second coming, those who opposed him and did not believe, believe in him, they will be crushed into powder they will be ground into powder. Uh, so although this principle is general, but the special application of this is to the Jewish people. The falling upon the stone, some people they say it is the ruin of their nations, and when the stone fell on them, that is the destruction of Jerusalem, by Titus, the Roman Empire, at age at, at uh, 70 A.D. So, in the judgment, he had predicted because he rejected them. He predicted their destruction because they rejected him. And they were ground to powder in this uh, uh, awful desolation that happened at 70 A.D., at the hand of Titus, the Roman Empire. Last two verses in the chapter. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees 
heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Finally, when the Lord made it clear the explanation of the parable, they knew that he was speaking about them. And when they answered him, they realized that they condemned themselves. So, they were afraid because they condemned themselves. And this parable, although it addressed the Jews, the Jewish religious leader, but also it can be applied for all of us. What do we do with the vineyard? What do we do with the gift that God gave us? Whether our children, whether our time, whether our money. What did we do with all these talents that God granted us? And if we don't render back the fruit to the landowner, then either the stone will fall on us and we'll have bruises or we will be broken or the stone will fall on us in the last day of judgment and the stone will crush them into powder. But either we fall on the stone and we'll, be, we'll have bruises or the stone will fall on us. Bruises means in our life here who do not obey the word of God, he can find some difficulties in his life. So, God also, with us Christian, he is observing whether we are giving him the harvest, uh, the fruits of the vineyard or not. Uh, so, all these gifts, the wine press, the tower, the hedge, the vineyard, all this should lead to repentance. But when that which should lead to repentance only kindles the flame of malice and revenge, then actually there is but a little hope of the salvation of such people. The last verse, we can see that the Sanhedrin aimed at two things. Number one, to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ quickly. Why? Because the Passover was close at hand. And during the Passover, they shouldn't arrest anybody. That's why they want to arrest him quickly. Also, the Lord Jesus Christ might leave Jerusalem after the feast. That's why they wanted to arrest him quickly. That's the first thing. And the second thing, they wanted to arrest him away from the people. Because the people considered or treated the Lord Jesus Christ as a prophet. But they found that they had nothing to lay hands on him. That's why in the following chapter we will see how they sent out spies to watch him to see if they could catch anything from him in, in, in his teaching that they can accuse him before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor in Judea at this time, and they can kill him as what actually was happened with him on Friday when he was crucified on the cross. This ends chapter 21 uh, when we studied these two parables and also how the Lord uh, declared the punishment of those who rejected him. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.